1: Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What made today so tough? Dow sinking 84 points, S&P losing 0.67%, but the Nasdaq, NASDAQ plunging a whopping 1.46%. It's simple. There are fewer and fewer stocks that can be safely bought because we're trying to figure out whose estimates will now need to be cut, and how deep those cuts will be. That's the new normal until the trade war with China reaches some kind of resolution. Unfortunately, we have no idea when that might happen. People in this country are just starting to realize that President Trump has had it with the Chinese. He has no desire to continue negotiating, even if they want to come to the table. The, 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 by the way, the Chinese have been saying that, and it's like, wow, like, is it really that shocking? In the meantime, lots of money is being lost by investors. Uh, uh, they keep being surprised by our government's willingness to take the pain from the trade war. Of pain. Nobody's surprised when the People's Republic of China is willing to take some pain. After all, it's not like they can be voted out of office. The Communist Party is perfectly willing to inflict some hardship on its own people if that furthers the long-term goals. And hey, when you consider that they've been able to lift, say, hundreds of millions of people out of poverty, maybe that's not a better thing. However, that's never been the American way. Even when our government is fine inflicting hardship on individuals, it's always been solicitous of big business. Not to be too cynical here, but there was a time when it would have been unthinkable for the president to damage our own semiconductor companies in order to wreck a Chinese company like Huawei. Consider those losses uh, uh, ever since the president banned component sales to one of the largest handset and telco infrastructure makers on Earth. Let me peel them down. It's pretty amazing. Micron's fallen from 43 to 34. That's a popular stock. Broadcom from 318 to 272. Xilinx, wow, that was red hot, right? From 119 to 101. Texas Instruments. 117 to 104. Qualcomm, smoking hot 89 to ice cold 76. Analog devices, 116 to 97. Intel, 51 to 43. And Skyworks Solutions, a great company from 91 to 68. That is an astonishing amount of pain to inflict on U.S. companies in order to make a statement that we're not going to let Huawei get ahead of us in the race for 5G. Some of these chip makers get five to fifteen to ten, well, even fifteen percent of their sales from Huawei. This is a big deal to shut them down from this account. We also learned that Alphabet's cutting off support to Huawei for its Android hardware and software. Hard to believe Huawei can continue to be the fastest-growing cell phone maker in the world without an Android. Of course, this wasn't good news for Alphabet either, down $24 on the news, after we just had a lot of analysts speak positively about it last week. Speaking of 5G, the FCC is going to bless T-Mobile's merger with Sprint, even though a 4 into 3 merger is inherently anti-competitive, because it's the only way these smaller wireless providers can compete with AT&T and Verizon in 5G. Of course, the deal still needs approval from the Justice Department. And it's possible it will be blocked because even with both companies promising not to raise prices for three years, a four to three mergers is a very tough sell. If justice does approve it, it will be because the president wants America to dominate 5G. And you know what? I got to tell you, it is so important to him. Stranger things have happened. And when you think about it, it's pretty amazing that we have a policy on 5G wireless technology. Not unlike China. We have one. It's incredible. You rarely see this kind of coordination on a single issue across multiple agencies, unless we're at war with another country. We know the Chinese are going to retaliate for what Trump did to Huawei. And, and I don't mean blocking out the last episode of Game of Thrones, which they did last night. Talk about spiteful. Can you imagine if we tried to do that here? There'd be riots in the streets, although apparently the finale was, was awful. I mean, so maybe the Chinese government did their people a favor. No, the stock market is signaling that China's real retaliation will be a strike against Apple. Even though their technology ecosystem only employs over 2 million Chinese people. Oh, the stock got hit again today, down nearly $6. bucks. it has been hammered relentlessly since the latest escalation, even as China hasn't said a thing about the company. Still, I can't blame anyone for being nervous. I mean, Apple could be in the crosshairs. And they might get it from both ends. My understanding is that the White House wants Apple to move its production out of China. They don't care about Apple's earnings beyond the fact that Trump doesn't want to see the Dow Jones Industrial Average get hit too hard, and Apple's a big part of that index. Of course, it's not just Apple. Many of our companies are starting to get anxious about these higher tariffs. 25% is a much bigger deal than 10%. Nike and Adidas, along with 171 other apparel makers and retailers, wrote the president today calling the tariffs catastrophic for our consumers and our companies and the American economy as a whole, end quote. The group practically begs him, saying, quote, on behalf of our hundreds of millions of footwear consumers and hundreds of thousands of employees, we ask that you immediately stop this action to increase their tax burden, end quote. They point out that Trump's proposal to slap tariffs on all on imports from China is effectively a sales tax on the American consumer. They want the trade war to end. Under any other administration, this is the kind of letter that might actually have a real impact on policymaking. It's certainly what China was counting on, but they didn't count on alternative facts. We have a president who believes that China is the one paying the tariffs. China. And he's convinced millions of Americans that this is just free money. He's out there arguing that the best way to close the budget deficit is still more tariffs. And companies like Nike and Under Armour are just a bunch of crybabies. The truth is the tariffs are a sales tax on you, the consumer. But this is a post-truth presidency. Get used to it. That letter from the apparel industry continues. There have been suggestions that industries should quickly shift sourcing to countries other than China in the wake of these additional tariff threats. While our industry has been moving away from China for some time now, footwear is a very capital intensive industry with years of planning required to make sourcing decisions. And companies cannot simply move factories to adjust to these changes, end quote. Basically, you can't move your factories overnight, and this is going to really hurt many players in the apparel space. Although, to some extent, you need to keep in mind these executives are talking their own book. Finally, these apparel CEOs warn of long-term lasting effects on American individuals and families, as well as threats to, quote, the very economic viability of many companies in our industry, end quote. Now, I I can see the president reading this and laughing at it. He has no sympathy for these companies. See, to them, they're the ones that took the jobs out of the United States in the first place. Why didn't they think about this? Worst case, they move their manufacturing somewhere else and their earnings take a hit. It's not the end of the world. He doesn't care about earnings per share. He's different from the previous presidents. Besides, he lives in a universe where the Chinese are the ones who pay the tariffs. So no one here gets hurt. Bottom line, look, I took the Econ 101. I know the tariffs are taxed on us. But as long as President Trump believes the Chinese are the ones who pay the price, He's going to keep taking a hard-line approach to these negotiations. And that means your portfolio has to have as little exposure to China as possible until this mess, at last, gets resolved. I'm going to Andrew in Connecticut. Andrew!
2: Hey, Jim. Andrew. I'm I'm, I'm an architect. Buying and selling stocks isn't my forte, and I could use your help. Sure. Uh, in 2017, I bought my first stock, Tesla, for 357. Today it's two oh five. I believe in the company. Should I stick with it, or do you recommend something else?
1: Okay, if you believe in the company, I'm not going to talk you out of it. If you like the company and you like the car, and you can look at a balance sheet, you follow our coverage, and you still like it, then you know what—you should own it. But it's important that you do all those things before you decide to own it. Jonathan in Texas, Jonathan. Hello, Jim Bouya from San Antonio. There How you think? go. What's up? Yeah, well, Jim, regarding 3M, there's recently been chatter about a possible cut in the dividend. Do you think the dividend is in jeopardy and do you think a cut has been priced into the, the stock? I do Thanks. not think that they're going to have to cut their dividend. I think that they would do They have the, one of the best dividend records of all time. That would not be their style. The stock got overvalued. It does have a 3.4% yield. I've been trying to figure out where I can say we're at the bottom, but it still sells at 17 times earnings, so it's still too expensive. Hey, let's go. That's Minnesota Mining, the old one at least. Let's go to Thomas in Minnesota. Thomas.
0: Thank you for your help. Of course. For helping to sell, Mr. Kramer. When leaving for school this morning, my boys called it Mad Money Monday. Yes. Calling about Yeti. <laughs> Calling yeah. about Yeti is that thirty six sixty and closed today at twenty five thirty three with no catalyst. Is there any reason for the no. sell off? No, it should maybe it shouldn't have gotten to
1: thirty six, but I think you should buy this. This is a great company. Maybe you buy some here for your kids. And then if it goes down to twenty two twenty three, look at as an opportunity to buy more. We studied this company nine ways to Sunday and we really and truly believe in it. Let's go to Zach in Indiana. Zach. Hey Jim, how are you doing today? Not bad. How about you?
0: I'm doing well, thank you. You know, first off, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on Microsoft. Uh, I know year-to-date we've seen the company's stock price rise around 25%. I know after the first quarter it reported year-over-year total revenue growth of around 14%. Do you think Microsoft can maintain this double-digit revenue? Right. I actually had the revenue? discussion
1: with Jeff Marks and Zeb Fema this morning, who work with me at Plus.com, the club. And I was saying, wow, you know what? This stock has moved up so much. But we all agreed it's such a good company that if you just own it for a while, it's okay that it moved this much. In other words, I believe in Microsoft and Satya Nadella. All right. It is tough out there, but one thing is certain. Stay away from stocks that have direct exposure to China. On Man Money tonight, China's Starbucks has arrived on Wall Street, but should you consider shares of luck in coffee? I'll tell you what's brewing just ahead. Then, after a week in San Francisco covering all things tech, I learned a thing or two about the social media sector. Tonight, I'm offering up a power rankings at some of the hottest plays. And the next Grand Theft Auto is on the horizon. So what does it mean for Take Two? I'm talking with the CEO. So stay with... Sometimes i got to wonder if the stock market is truly a learning animal. Last Friday, something incredibly bizarre happened. After a week of broken IPO dreams and heightened trade tensions with China, we got another Chinese IPO. And it seems like people haven't been listening to the who because they got fooled again. I'm talking about Luckin Coffee, which now trades under the symbol LK. This is a rapidly growing Chinese coffee chain. (laughs) Rapidly. Is a, a too soft a to word for what they're, they're doing. And as I've told you many times before, Chinese companies that come public here in the US, they tend to be pretty bad investors, especially right out of the gate. Sure enough, the Luck and Coffee deal price is 17, then the stock spiked up to 25. Ooh, I got to buy some, got to buy some at the opening for rallying less than a buck and then going right back down, closing at just above $20. <laughs> If you bought this thing at the opening, you got crushed. Oh, and the stock keeps getting hammered. Down another 8.7% to $18 today. But just in case you're tempted now, let us pull back. I want to explain to you precisely why I think you should avoid the stock of Luckin and Coffee and others like it. On the one hand, oh, come on, I see the appeal. Luckin is now China's second largest coffee network and by far the fastest growing. They have a technology-driven business model where you do everything via the mobility app. No cashiers, allowing them to serve more customers. The pitch, Luckin gives you convenient, affordable, high-quality coffee. And this company has been growing like a weed with it, actually, like kudzu. I mean, I don't know, like something that Monsanto, never mind. Within 18 months, Luckin has expanded from a single trial store in Beijing, one, to 2,370 stores across 28 cities at the end of March. In the first quarter, their, stock, their store count grew by 717% year-over-year. It's an eightfold increase. The average items they sell per month jumped by 3,241% year-over-year. This is spectacular, steroidal growth, people. Clearly, there's a demand for quality coffee chain that isn't Starbucks. And this industry is still in its early innings because coffee penetration in People's Republic is still very low. On a per capita basis, they drink 1.6% of the coffee that we do. Some people say that they only drink, I don't know, they drink three cups a year or something. The numbers are really staggering. I like this chart. So it sure seems like Luckin has been, let's just say, an incredible opportunity. Luckin, the company. And when you drill down into the numbers, they're spectacular. In fact, these figures are so amazing that they are kind of hard to process. How do you account for the fact that this thing had 3,594% revenue growth in the first quarter? Oh, cow. And look, that's a deceleration from 336,178% growth they had last year. But you have to understand this kind of growth is inherently unsustainable. Luckin's growth really is spectacular. They've grown from a single store to more than 2,000 stores in less than two years. When you have an insanely fast rollout, you get jaw-dropping growth numbers like I just mentioned. For a while there, they were opening a new store every three and a half hours. Which begs the question, why doesn't every company do this? I mean, got a good concept. Why not take it from a local chain to a regional chain to a national chain overnight? Well, because history is littered with the remains of restaurants and retailers that tried to expand too rapidly and ended up destroying themselves. They're like Icarus, OK, or at least laying to waste their investors' portfolios. For example, if you chase revenue growth nonstop, you can end up sacrificing profitability, Luckin at an operating loss of $78.5 million in the first quarter. And while that's an improvement from $125 million operating loss in the same period last year, it's not great. Using the Chinese currency figures, their operating margin has gone from negative 190% last year to negative 110% in the latest quarter. Ah, uh, progress? Sure. But these guys are a long way from turning a profit. The real red flag, though... Luckin's cash flow statement. In the first quarter, their operating cash flow, the cash generated by regular business operations, came in at $93.5 If they keep burning cash at that pace, they will go through the money they raised in last week's IPO in less than two years. And that's why the stock's really going down. But you see, going from nothing to over 2,000 stores in a couple years I'm calling that a very risky proposition. You're wagering that you've got the business model nailed and you don't need to adapt anything to new locations. You're betting that most of these new stores will be successful and not money losers. But in order to make an educated guess about what will work, you need data, the kind of data you can only get by running your stores over a longer period of time. And that's why companies that expand too rapidly tend to get into a lot of trouble. I want you to contrast Luckin with Starbucks. Now, Starbucks is the number one coffee chain in China, okay? Unlike Luckin, their Chinese operations, they are profitable, actually hugely profitable. And while Starbucks is growing quickly, they're still taking their expansion at a reasonable and responsible pace. That's nowhere near the growth we saw from Luckin. When I communicated with Howard Schultz, the former chairman and CEO of Starbucks last week, who pretty much built the company from the ground up, he told me that Luckin Coffee reminded him of the cardinal sin of all restaurants, reminded him of Boston chicken. Boston Chicken, wow, what a flame-out. Now, obviously, Schultz is not disinterested in third party, but I have to admit I had the exact same thought that he did. Boston Chicken was the total market darling in the mid-1990s, came public with a bang in 1993 because there were lines outside the door, and the stock exploded higher because the company was generating spectacular growth, but it new stores in a truly insane pace. They were opening next to each other. I remember this. By 1998, people had soured on the concept. It became clear they'd expanded way too fast, and Boston Chicken declared bankruptcy. Starbucks, by contrast, has been succeeding in China for years, and their Chinese locations have great store-level economics. They haven't even been hurt by nationalistic fervor ginned up by the trade war. Although if Beijing decides to hit them with a boycott to punish the United States, I mean, of course, they get hurt. But for now, Starbucks is doing incredibly well in the People's Republic. Most recent quarter, CEO Kevin Johnson told us that they opened 553 new stores in China over the previous 12 months, 17% increase. They continue to achieve best-in-class profitability and returns on those investments. That said, again, in the unlikely event that Starbucks gets hit with some sort of boycott, I'd still be very hesitant to recommend Luckin. Why? Because of the 31 Chinese IPOs that hit the U.S. market last year, 23 of them have lost you money from where their deal's priced. 23. Twenty-four have lost money from their first trade. The average return down twenty-two percent from its first day close. Those are terrible odds, people. And the Chinese IPOs from the class of twenty nineteen have fared even worse. When are they going to stop pumping this darn stuff out? (laughs) Luckin Coffee seems to be really just following the exact same pattern: big initial spike followed by rapid sell-off. And even down here, I wouldn't be a buyer. It's just way too risky, bottom line. Unless we're talking about a terrific company with a tried-and-true track record, you need to be very careful about Chinese IPOs because this cohort has been very tough to own. As for luck and coffee, if I saw this kind of business model anywhere else, it would be the red flag I threw earlier. It just screams over-expansion. In the Chinese coffee
2: chain, hard pass. Stick with Kramer. Coming up it takes two baby kramer says game on to the chief of take two interactive when mad money returns
1: last week pinterest got obliterated when i recorded a less than stellar quarter right out of the gate but then we got to know the company a little bit better. Talking to CEO Ben Silberman, he painted a much more bullish picture. And I agree with him. So ever since that interview, I've been wondering, how does Pinterest stack up next to the other big social media players, Facebook, Twitter, Snap, when it comes to future stock performance? And that's why tonight we're rolling out our mad money power rankings for social media. Put these four stocks in context. And we know you like these power, power rankings because we've seen it in our tweets and in our email. Number one is Facebook. This is a company that got hit by a wave of scandals last year. Are they respecting your privacy? Are they selling off your data to bad actors? Do they need to be reined in? Then last July, the company told us it was going to spend a fortune to fix its broken system. And the stock plummeted from $217 to $176 in a single awful session before going still lower. It bottomed at $123 on Christmas Eve. While 2018 was a brutal year for Facebook, 2019 has been much, much better. The stock's currently up nearly 40% year-to-date, back up to 183. Companies reported two terrific quarters in a row. Most recently, at the end of April, Facebook delivered a nice top and bottom line beat. Daily active users up 8%, 2.1 billion people using their services on an average day. Even better total, ad impressions were up a staggering 32%. Best of all, after two straight upside surprises, we got a sense that Facebook would be just fine. Oh, it still gets rocked by negative headlines from time to time. Including a scathing op ed piece from co founder Chris Hughes, who called for the company to be broken up and regulated much more aggressively. Uh, he has some good points, but as someone who wants stocks to go higher, I don't want to hear him. You want to be a successful investor? Learn how to compartmentalize, please. Still, while Facebook has now pulled back from its latest highs, the stock still sells at just 25 times next year's earnings That's ridiculous. cheap. This is a fabulous company, tarnished reputation in the media, but not with readers or ad customers. If people flee from Facebook over privacy concerns, they, they tend to switch to Instagram. Uh, that's also owned by Facebook. And it's still the best platform around if you want to engage in targeted advertising, which is the name of the game these days. When it comes to digital marketing, this is the most important company on Earth because its scale is unparalleled. Hey, throw in WhatsApp, their powerhouse messaging service, and nobody comes close to these guys. As, as long as Facebook can maintain its user and engagement numbers, This stock will remain the undisputed king of social media. Oh, it also happens to represent the best value in the cohort. Yep, the best-to-breed social media kingpin is also the cheapest of the big social media stocks. That rarely happens. It's a great opportunity. I am sure people are freaking out. You know, it looks like this, this. It would be a gift, okay? That's a gift, not a gif, which is GIF. I know that much. All right, so who holds the number two spot in our power rankings? That happens to be... Twitter! While this, while this stock had an epic, no, I'm not talking about the game, epic run from the summer of 2017 to the summer of 2018, with the stock rising from $15 to the mid-40s. Since, since then, it's become more of a battleground, one that's been stuck in the 30s for, uh, let's say, for months. It's called marking time, people. Uh, I've been a huge fan of this stock, and you, you know, it's not really a shock, right? I mean, this, I, for this whole move, because management has worked very hard to turn the business around. Now, I've seen their efforts to remove or bury some of the ugliest material on the platform using, by the way, artificial intelligence. And as a result, Twitter's become a much more pleasant place to spend your time. As a result, their daily average user numbers have been improving, along with their engagement numbers. And now they've gotten religion on monetizing those users. Plus, Twitter increasingly focused on live events. That's really good business, like sports. I want you to listen to a guy whom I found very impressive when we were in San Francisco last week. His name's Ned Siegel. He's the CFO. Let's know what he told us. I, I think it's very cool.
0: For the Women's World Cup, we're going to show every goal as a highlight right after it happens. For Major League Baseball, you can now vote on what player you want to see their at-bats for live on Twitter uh, uh, that evening. So you get to vote, and then you get to watch it.
1: Amazing, that guy doesn't have nearly the number of followers that Anthony Leto has his previous CFO. I said that on Twitter, and he blasted me. But we're all fun, because that guy is money, and this stock can be a big one. The efforts are paying off. When Twitter reported its latest quarter in mid-April, the numbers were terrific. Stock caught fire. company delivered a huge earnings beat. Get this, 37 cents. Wall Street was only looking for 15. On top of that, a solid revenue beat. Total ad engagements were up 23% year-over-year. Cost per engagement was down 4%. Average monetizable daily active users grew from 120 to 134 million over the same period, even as monthly average users were down slightly. But Twitter insists that the monthly numbers are not important. Their whole platform is geared toward people who use it every day. And I have to tell you, I agree with them, the figures look really good. Again, people worry, head and shoulders. I say, would you think a little bit bigger, please? Because this stock could be big in the second half of 2019. On top of that, Twitter still benefits from being President Trump's preferred mode of communication. Oh, and other than Facebook, it's the only social media play that's actually profitable. At 33 times the next year's earnings, it's not exactly cheap. But I think it may turn out to be a bargain in retrospect. Number three is very controversial. It's Pinterest. The online vision board turned social media network with a stock that came public last month. Now, Pinterest didn't have a huge pop right out of the gate, but it wrapped. Whoa, that's interesting. But it rapidly worked its way higher over the following weeks. I told you I liked the story, even though the stock needed to come down before I could recommend buying. Then Pinterest reported last Thursday night Wall Street was not amused. As you can see, uh, when the company came public, it looked like Pinterest might be on the verge of turning a profit. But after this quarter, it's clear that they're a long way from profitability. Still, their monthly average users were up 22 percent. Their average revenue per user up 26 percent. All told, Pinterest had a 54 percent sales growth. That's outstanding. But why is Pinterest losing so much more money than we expected? Because the company sees a ton of opportunities, so they're investing heavily to grow their business, especially overseas. That's so smart, people. That's what you should do. As CEO Ben Silverman, who I liked very much, told us on Friday, they're focused on the long term. And I think that's the right approach. While the stock is, not again, we call cheap, 9.7 times 2020 sales, not sales, you have my blessing to be a small buyer here and get bigger as the stock goes down, because I think this is going to be a long-term keeper. Finally, in fourth place, there's Snap, the parent of Snapchat. When these guys came public in 2017, the stock initially roared higher, and I warned you to stay away, stay the heck away. I was pretty adamant. Stock peaked a day after the IPO, plummeted from 30 down to 5 late last year as the company reported a series of very disappointing numbers. So far in 2019, though, we've seen some signs of life as the stock's more than doubled from $5.51 to $11.19 as of today. How did it get its groove back? In part, it came down too, too far too fast for the fourth quarter bear market. So you can see it really just got slugged here, all right? Uh, and, and then in early February, the company reported a better than expected quarter. So you can see what happened. Boom. That was a better than expected quarter. Uh, and management actually had positive things to say about user engagement. It, it was stabilizing, modernization, improving significantly. Unfortunately, snap stock caught fire, uh, got a little too ahead of itself. Company reported again in late April. Results were good. Guidance, not perfect. Not bad. just had some hair on it. And when your stock is more than double going into the earnings, anything less than, perfection, than perfect results, well, that's going to cause a sell-off. But it's not so bad. It's not. I know that I got too negative on it down here. It seems like these guys have finally gotten their act together. I'm welcoming them to the show, by the way. It would be great. Uh, they don't have the best track record, but they can come back. And uh, like I said, this whole social media end is still working. Bottom line, if you want some social media exposure, here's what you get. You got Facebook FB. It's number one. Twitter is a distant second. Pinterest, a close third. And then the inconsistent snap, welcome to the show to tell us why they deserve to be higher in our newfound power rankings. Now I'm going to Sam in Connecticut. Sam! Jim, big fan. Thanks so much for taking my call, and thanks for everything you do. My pleasure. Thank you. My stock is Fortinet (FTNT). I know cybersecurity is a hot topic, but what makes them kind of interesting is they're playing both SD WAN and wireless as well. Just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, look, I like Fortinet. I am not in love with Fortinet. I've got to tell you, we had ProofPoint on last week. I thought ProofPoint was really special with Gary Steele. I, I, I think that that I think that that's a better buy. Let's go to ProofPoint. Okay, all right. Let me catch you up on the social media situation. Number one is Facebook. Number two is Twitter. Number three is Pinterest. But remember, this is a very good situation. We saw Ben Silverman, we liked it. Snaplast, Love having to plead their case on our show. Watch where we made money at. Take Two Interactive has developed some of the biggest titles in the video game industry, from Grand Theft Auto to Max Payne. But with competition in the video game industry heating up, how can the company fend off its competition? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then how Joe Biden's view on healthcare could help certain stocks shine. I'll reveal the names. The order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
2: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post Nine at the NYSE.
1: David, there must be a response. A rye post. Even the dog recoiled from this. You love this. In. No, I don't. Oh, He's yes, you. I love him. Ever I love since him. He called it the simulation.
2: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. The future of gaming is leveling up. For Take Two, Red Dead was full speed ahead. After the year's biggest release, can this hit maker conquer new worlds for investors? How can Take-Two Interactive Software, the
1: stock, get its mojo back? Because the company sure has it. The whole video game industry's has had a tough time, though, over the past 18 months, plagued by a new competition from free-to-play battle royale games that have upended the entire business model. Take-Two had the most successful, traditionally published game of 2018, which is Red Dead Redemption 2. And while the stock roared into its October launch, it got hammered quickly afterwards. The stock finally found its footing in late February, and since then it's been on the rise. But it feels like Wall Street doesn't know what to do with this one, hence its 3.5% decline today. When Take-Two reported a solid quarter a week ago, with somewhat cautious guidance, more on that in a moment, the numbers were good enough to send the stock roaring 7% over the next two days. Now, though, it's pulling back. And while Take-Two is a long-time Kramer fave, Boy, has this industry become notoriously difficult to predict? So let's take a closer look with Strauss Zeldick, the chairman and CEO of Take Two Interactive, to get a better read on the quarter and where it's coming. is headed. Mr. Zeldick, welcome back to May of Money. Good to see you, Strauss. <laughs> nice to see you, Jim. All <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, there's a couple ways to look at the quarter. One is uh, that someone says your uh, guidance was conservative, another guy says that you, you couldn't be, that you didn't raise enough. And then there's another way, which is that you bought a ton of stock back, and you realize that the stock has been marking time while the business has just been getting better and better. I mean, much better and better. Shouldn't I be thinking about that?
0: I think so. You know, we say that we reserve our capital for three uses, returning capital to the shareholders, supporting organic growth, and potentially supporting inorganic opportunities. When do we buy back stock when we perceive that there's deep value in the marketplace? Usually we've been right. I think we've almost entirely been right about that. But Companies always think their but, stock but is the, undervalued.
1: Your net bookings are 47%, but the right. stock stayed the same. So that means that you're looking at a company that is substantially better than it was a year ago, and yet if the stock's not moving, you really have no choice, I think, but the buyback stock. It's the only thing that is just
0: it makes too much sense not to. Right. We've spent $360 million doing that in the past fiscal year. And I thought
1: that was terrific. Now, what I think people are hung up on is something that's already maybe passed. They're hung up on battle royale. And I get that. And it's very exciting. But we were at, we were at NVIDIA last week. Strauss, we saw what you told us. We saw life like a video. You couldn't tell if it was a movie with actual people or if it was math. And if it's math, which it is, I mean, is, isn't, a 2022 to 2025 gonna be the greatest years ever? I think it's
0: incredibly exciting, and not just because you'll be able to make interactive entertainment that looks like live action, right. but because of all the other things that we're able to do. And I, I think the story about free-to-play is also exciting because it brings more gamers into the market. There, it's and talk about NBA, you got free-to-play? Yeah, it's a $130 billion market. It's the most rapidly growing business in, in the entertainment business. This is all good news.
1: Okay, let's talk about the most rapidly growing business within entertainment. There's a lot of entertainment uh, companies consolidating. There's a lot of companies that just want one thing, your growth. So how is it possible that you could have some parts of the industry trading wildly up when your growth far exceeds them? Or is that just up to us who don't realize what we have on our hands? Look, it's very
0: hard to understand the market movements on an intraday basis, as right. you know better than much better than I. Uh, our view is, look, we, our job is to deliver hits, excite consumers, captivate them, engage them, and... Good things happen.
1: So, I mean, when you do uh, Red Dead Online, I mean, or do NBA with uh, online, these are things that haven't even been factored in yet in terms of the numbers. That's that's really next year's business. Well,
0: it's a big part of this year's business right. already. And it, it, recurrent consumer spending was up meaningfully year over year. Okay. It's okay. now 40 percent of our business, which you know used to be zero percent right. of our business. So, and that will continue to grow because consumers now are are engaged over the course of the year not just at the time you have one big
1: release. Okay, so a buddy of mine owns uh, now a chain of gaming places, and they're for people who are in their uh, young, uh, let's, say up, let's say high single-digit kids, okay? And they're train, training because they think that there's going to be an NCAA scholarship. I'm not talking about the thing that that guy Singer did. I'm talking about reality. And they know that the, what's going to happen is there's going to be Title IX, there's going to be NCAA scholarships. Is this a vision that you share?
0: Yes. You do. Esports are already watched by 250 million people and 125 million people consider it a primary entertainment vehicle. That's watching people play video games competitively. The NBA 2K League is in its second season. We have 21 teams participating. You know, it's, it, we're off to the races.
1: Uh, Jensen Wong, the visionary, the client kind of RTX, who's waiting and wants to write touring with you, uh, says that 1 billion people will be gaming when they see that the games are. The same as a movie. True? I
0: think the business will continue to expand. I think that's one reason it will expand. Okay. Another reason that you'll want to look at, of course, is streaming technology. Right. That's it's going to going bring to our, our title. titles right. to consumers who don't have boxes and have any kind of device all over the world.
1: Now, the, there was a question that I have to admit. It was, someone said, look, this, there's this soccer game and they're making $100 per. What's with you, Strauss? It, it, you know, normally, I would not be like that to you. I would say, hey, Strauss, soccer's interesting. And How we doing? But soccer's interesting. How we doing? FIFA's
0: doing great. NBA 2K is doing just great. We don't talk about specific dollars per user. Right. Because, again, that's actually not our primary concern. Our primary concern is making the best basketball game anyone could make and does make. And then when we do that, consumers show up.
1: I agree, but people are now starting to nail you with, uh, they wonder what there with your monthly average users are. Like, you, like your Pinterest. Right. Are you Pinterest?
0: We are definitely not Pinterest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and we do, look, we did talk about users being up on NBA 2K right. year over year. They're, they're up meaningfully, about 13% daily average users. 20% more games are being played in NBA 2K right. this year than in the prior year. So we give out those statistics when they think they'll be, when we think they'll be informative.
1: Okay, uh, your social point, we're happy so far, we yep. like what's happening. Dragon
0: City and Monster Legends continue that was to be one of
1: those, up, those that you pointed right. out as being a great one. Yeah,
0: they're up sequentially up in the quarter, which is great. They've just launched Tasty Town, they launched Word Life. Right. We're very optimistic. They have 10 games in development, so well, we good get about and it. They could be big. I hope so.
1: All right, one last question. Uh, there was a man, Robert Smith, who gave scholarships to everyone at Morehouse who graduated, and I thought it was just the greatest story. Yeah, it's an amazing can, story. Can take two give some scholarships to kids to go to college who are winners?
0: That's a great question and something we have to think about. We've vastly increased our charitable giving. I know. Uh, we haven't done that yet. We'll think about it. It would be an interesting idea. It
1: is. All right. That's Strauss Zelnick. Take to interact with Chairman CO, TTW. It is by far the best of these games. I understand that the stock has sat there, but I got to tell you, I got a lot of stocks that are down 30 40%. This is not one-up. Mad Money's back from the break. This time it's time the light round. And then the lightning round over. Are you ready? Skidark? It's the lightning round. We're start with William in New York. William. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Then last week,
2: the CEO of my company bought a hun- uh, one and a half million shares. Also, Bill Miller, a prominent investor in the company,
1: up to stake. He's been With all this inside of buying, should I buy now, some more? My but- company is X- uh, in Textron. XON. Yeah, as soon as you hear Bill Miller, you know it's in Trexon. And Bill Miller has got so many good stocks. I wish he wasn't saddled with this one. This is a stinking. this is a loser. Okay? It's a loser, and I don't want to hear about it. I feel bad if you're in it, but it's a loser. All right? Fair enough. You said it. Loser. Rick in North Carolina. Rick.
0: Hey, Jimmy. Booyah. Great to talk to you, man. Same. you the best. I have a stock. Uh, your uh, the CEO was on your uh, show about a month and a half ago. It's called Iridium, I-R-D-M.
1: Matt Dash. I thought he did a great job. I like the stock. It's got a niche business that I didn't believe in. I was wrong. He was right. It's a winner. How about we go to Zoe or Zoe in Virginia? Zoe. Booyah, Jim. Zoe from the Valley in Virginia here. Okay. Love your show. Thank My you. wife and I look forward to every night. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you
0: for your guidance. I'd also like to give a shout out to an old friend of mine, Bobby, in Boynton Springs, Florida. Okay. About two years ago. Bob started mentoring me on buying stocks. That was the
1: best the best investment advice anyone could ask for. Oh that's nice. Now now I share my investment guidance I get from Man money with Bob. Okay. Recently
0: Bob asked me to ask you, Jim, okay. what do you think about Wayfair? Ticker symbols. Okay, stuff?
1: Wayfair, it's you know, this is a rough market right now and Wayfair is the kind of stock that's not necessarily the best thing to buy at this moment. I do think the company has tremendous growth, but I'd rather have, I'd rather tell Bob it's Amazon. And let Amazon come down. You buy a little bit at a time. I think that's a better bet. Let's go to David in California. David! Swami Kramer, I need your help. Sure. I'm thinking of buying... Huh? Huh? Uh,
0: all right. I'm thinking of buying PayPal or Zscaler. What's your
2: recommendation? I
1: prefer PayPal. I, I know it's up a lot. I think Dan Schulman's remarkable. I think the stock can come down a couple. But it's hard. It does a hard time coming down. Zscaler? Hey, you know what? How about Zendesk? Okay? I think Zendesk is good, and C scale is good, but I like Octa. Okta. Interesting company. All right, let's go to Mark in New York. Mark. Jim, booyah. Booyah.
0: So, Jim, I have a question about uh, Zenurba Pharmaceuticals. Uh, so, this is a cannabis company uh, <laughs> with a TBD gel pharmaceutical uh, that's currently in the third um siege of a This
1: is a huge speculative stock. It's moved up gigantically. It's up three hundred and eighty-eight percent. It's not a blue chip. Uh if you want a spec, I'm okay with it. But please understand it is totally speculative. I don't want you to lose any money. A lot of people losing money here, I don't want to be a part of it. Let's go to John in Massachusetts. John! Booyah, yeah, Jim. Booyah. John from the center of Massachusetts here. Go oh. Patriot. Go pay yeah, right in my face, okay. Yeah, Patriots, yeah. Hey, get your job done. Do your assignment. Win. Okay, there. I just did his Coach. What's the stock? What? Lululemon? Oh, Lululemon. I'm a buyer here, oh, and If it goes on. down, I'll buy more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: How can we withstand the trade war with China and a possible slowdown in the U.S. economy? Something that seems more likely with the benchmark 10-year Treasury currently yielding 2.41%. If you're worried that the expansion might be winding down, what is worth buying? All right, this is going to sound a little crazy, but how about the managed care stocks? This hated group has gotten some pep in its step lately, and I'm going to tell you uh, why. Uh, Given the wholesale carnage in the sector last month, it seems odd. Remember, the managed care stocks got crushed because everyone was worried about the Democratic presidential candidates pushing for Medicare for all, something that would potentially put many of these companies out of business. When United Health Group reported mid-April, oh, it delivered some phenomenal numbers, yet the stock crashed. It crashed because of these fears. CEO David Wickman came out on the conference call, and he did criticize those who favored the single-payer concept, saying that such a policy would destroy the quality health care that the system provides. Wickman refers to the status quo and said, quote, Wholesale disruption of the American health care being discussed in some of the proposals would surely jeopardize the relationship people have with their doctors, destabilize the nation's health care system, and limit the ability of clinicians to practice medicine at their best, end quote. Needless to say, anyone who sells health insurance has every reason to oppose single payer. But this was not the right way to handle it. I think he should have said, never going to happen, and left it at that. But the conference call gave people a sense that single payer might be a real possibility. Put it on the It it, it made it front and center. And the stock plummeted in response because people said, wow, if David Wickman's worried about it, maybe we should be, too. This previously defensive group of stocks then went into free fall. However, it didn't take long for UNH to start rattling again, seemingly on nothing. Although looking back, here's what happens, and it turned out to be obvious. Joe Biden announced he was running. And suddenly the front runner was an insurance-friendly former senator from Delaware. Unlike Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Harren or Kamala Harris, Biden's against Medicare for all. Overnight, it became safe to own the managed care stocks again. Don't worry, it's not too late. The political risk was most reduced. I think it was always more style than substance. You know why? Because the Democratic leadership in Congress, Nancy Pelosi, is also against single payer. They don't even want to talk about this stuff. But with Biden leading the polls, it's more obvious that the health insurance business will be just fine. Thank you. Look, look what's happened since, uh, since then. As President Trump ratchets up tensions with China, the managed care cohort will be totally immune to the damage. They're entirely domestic. Whereas a group like the retailers, which are often a safe haven in times of international turmoil, is getting hit by the tariffs, and I do expect a series of bad retail numbers over the next three days. The managed care stocks have nothing to fear. What's the best one to own? Hey, David Wickman's. My favorite United Health. It's the biggest, and it's in many ways the best, and it keeps beating and raising quarters. Second, there's Centene, CNC, Michael Noddorf. It's been a huge winner from Obamacare as they provide government-sponsored health care plans. Finally, down and out, you know I like CVS, which has been hammered endlessly as investors worry that Amazon is pillaging the front of the store while the pharmacy side has been pulled down by its merger that looks so smart for so long with Aetna. Hey, wait a second. Maybe Ed is back in style. CVS sports a bountiful three point seven eight percent yield, and it's seven times next year. Seven times next year's earnings. This thing used to sell at a premium. Seven times next year's earnings. It's the cheapest stock in the group. That's why we own both UNH and CVS for the Charitable Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Of course, Biden's front-runner status is also good news for the pharmaceutical stocks and the hospital chains I recommend to you, HCA. More importantly, it's not too late to invest in these stocks because Trump keeps giving us more reasons to bail on companies with exposure to China and circle the wagons around the pure domestics like the ones I've just mentioned. I think you should use any weakness to do some. Buy, buy, buy! Because this is now the group to own. I like Home Depot stock. Anecdotally, you know I'm a gardener. There has just been nothing but horrendous weather, and that will hurt the stock. If they say something negative, it might be a great opportunity to buy. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.